Good morning. Y'all need to loosen up some. I mean, yeah, we're here to worship God, but we're among family. And by the way, get used to each other. We'll spend all eternity with each other one day. <laughs> but then again, it won't be any sense. So I might be a little easier to live that day than it is here on earth. This wraps up the four-week series about baptism. We're talking about a baptism of commencement. And of course, you heard our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. If you're going to nail me down for probably my favorite passage, it's hard to pick this one passage to be my favorite. This would be it. Because it really talks about how we receive a new life in Christ. You know, uh, we desire sometimes to transform, to change, and to be different. Because we don't want to be the way we are today. We want to change something about ourselves. And we try all sorts of things to make this change possible. Crash diets. Plastic surgery. New hairdos. Perhaps even new clothes. But the truth be told, we're only changing the outside. Now, there are some try to do it internally. And over $500 million is spent on these subliminal messages on these tapes that will help you change from the inside. For example, to improve your self-image or to stop smoking or something of that nature. However, according to the National Research Council's report, these tapes do not deliver the life-transforming change that they promise to deliver. This reminds me of a man who was selling a warehouse. And he had a prospective buyer come by and look at the warehouse. Now this gentleman started apologizing. It was in bad shape. There was trash everywhere. There was windows smashed, doors that needed to be replaced. And so as he was talking to the prospective buyer, walking around the property, he was talking to him, I rest assured this trash will be swept up, it will be taken out, the windows will be repaired, and we'll fix these doors. And he was going on and on. Finally, the, the buyer looked at this gentleman and said, look, I'm not interested in this warehouse because I'm only buying this for the site. I'm going to tear this warehouse down and I'm going to build what I want. I just want the site. That is like what God does to us when we come to him. See, God is not interested in changing you from the outside in. He wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to build something completely different. Everything becomes new. Your old life is over. We call this a baptism of commitment. We talked about baptism being a baptism of repentance, a baptism of humility, a baptism of obedience, and now a baptism of commencement. Now, commencement is used a lot to talk about graduation from college, high school, so on and so forth. That word commencement means a new beginning. So in a graduation ceremony, it's talking about, okay, the students' lives, you now have graduated, now your life is going to change to apply what you have learned. Likewise, when we come to Christ, we give our lives to Christ, and we follow in obedience, we are giving our lives to Christ. Now everything has been turned over to something brand 
new. It's a new beginning. It's like hitting on the computer, the Control-Alt-Delete button. Boom, everything's gone. And now you have a new identity in Christ. And this is what our text speaks to this morning. Look in uh, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Literally, a new creation. What's it mean to be in Christ? It means to have a close, intimate, real relationship with him. To be one who belongs to Christ, who lives in the sphere of Christ's power. To be united with Christ and to be part of the body of Christ. You are a new creature, a creation. Your life is radically changed. This is not a minor modification. This is a major overhaul. And become a Christian, you don't involve in becoming a Christian. God changes you in that moment. Now, you are to grow in your walk. We call it sanctification. But you are a Christian right then and there because the change does not depend on you doing the change. It is God that changes you and affects your whole being, your value system, and your behavior. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In that moment, you went from enemy to friend. You went from alienation to be part of the family. We talk about wanting to see miracles in our day. Dearly beloved, that's the greatest miracle we witness when someone comes to Christ and their life is radically changed. Doing things, God doing things in their heart that all these other self-help proclaim to do, but they do not deliver. Only Jesus Christ can change the human heart. And we should grow in our walk, in our maturity, in our behavior. God continues that through sanctification. That's the process of becoming more like Christ every day. Through repentance and confession and prayer, reading of the word, singing songs. By the way, this should not be the only time you worship God. This is corporate worship. It's wonderful to get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and lift high praises of God. But you need to spend time alone praising him as well. Now, I wouldn't suggest if you're driving down the road to close your eyes, raise up your hands, but you can praise God in your car. You can praise God anywhere at any time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 tells us, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Look back in verse 17. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, this change that is promised by God is not a change where stuff is hidden or glossed over with enough plastic or stitches or makeup to cover it up. No, you are not the same. You're a new, complete person altogether. You're not the same. The old self is gone. As I've already said, God does not clean you up from the outside in, rather from the inside out. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law, the Ten Commandments, we've done this time and time again. We can't keep them. The law demonstrates our need and drives us, leads us to Christ. Because in Christ, he changes my heart, a new nature. The Holy Spirit now resides in me. You can't, the law can't do that. 
It can't change your heart. Only Christ can. Now we need laws in our nation for morality. But you can't legislate morality because the laws of the land cannot change the human heart. Only God can do that. And he changes us from the inside out. And look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God. Or everything is from God. It begins with God's initiative. This new creation is exclusively the work of God. Reconciliation begins with God. Look back in verse 18. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. Through the death of Christ, you can be reconciled to God. Now it requires some participation on our part. Christ died for everybody. But we have to accept that. It goes back to repenting of our sins. Having humility, saying, I can't save myself. And falling in obedience because he commands us. And then you have this baptism of commencement. We are to not only be reconciled with God, but to reconcile ourselves to each other. That's hard. It's hard enough being reconciled to someone who's not part of our family, but even family members. You know, uh, I'll say this, might get me in trouble. Before I married Tammy, I had some relatives on both my mom and dad's side that just kind of didn't, just kind of out there. You have people like that in your family? I would say maybe weird, but you know, just, you know, until I got married and found out everybody has those people in their family. All right? Because I'm reconciled to God, I need to be a reconciler myself and reconcile relationships. And what burdens my heart more than anything this morning is our churches in America who split over some of the stupidest stuff and yet we are reconciled with God and we are commanded to be reconciled with each other. And yet, I know of a church, I kid you not, who split over having ceiling fans in the sanctuary. Really? How important is that? when it comes to eternity. Now God is not reconciling to man as though he was partly the brain. Rather, we are being reconciled to God because we are the ones who moved away from him. Our sinfulness created the problem and our sinful condition had to be dealt with before there could be any reconciliation because see, sin incurs God's wrath. It cannot be treated lightly or swept under the rug. God can never be reconciled to sin, but he did not turn us away. He made a way possible. He acted in love to bring the hostility to an end and bring about peace. And this peace is not simply an end of hostilities or an easy truce. It refers to the mending of a broken relationship that results from God justifying through faith and changing us from enemies to friends. Now bear with me, I want to quote a man, his last name is Cranfield, a biblical scholar, in his 
commentary, a critical and exegetical commentary on the epistle of Romans. This is what he says, because we're talking about two different things, justification and reconciliation. So he says, quote, justification is a judicial term used in the law courts. A judge may acquit an accused person without ever entering into any personal relationship with him or her. He just announces the verdict, not guilty. The accused hardly expects to be invited over for dinner by the judge and probably hopes to never be invited or see that person ever again, talking about the judge. So the judge can pronounce you not guilty, but never enters into a personal relationship with you. God declares you not guilty, justification by the blood of Christ, but he also has reconciliation. He wants to enter in a personal relationship with you. Not only is he justifying you and forgiving you, but now he wants a relationship with you. And because of our extreme hostility towards him, this investment is accomplished at an unspeakable cost. The death of Christ, his only son upon that cross. He wants a relationship with you. you. I, you, me, everybody on planet earth has broken his laws, have shook our fists in his face, but yet he sent his son to pay the debt for our sin, to reconcile to us to him. Why? Because he wants a relationship. This is what sets Christianity apart from any other world system out there. Because every other world system out there, you're trying to appease a God somehow, some way, you'll do enough good to be there with him one day. No, Christianity says you can never be good enough. Rather, it's God himself that reached down to man, not man reaching back to God. That sets Christianity apart from everything else out there. And look further. Look back in verse 18. He has gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That involves more than just sharing the gospel to people, what God has done in Christ. Like I said, it requires that we become an active reconciler ourselves. And just like Christ, we need to plunge into the midst of human disorder to bring harmony out of chaos, reconcile, reconciliation out of estrangement, and love in the place of hate. That's where it begins, with the people of God. You want to see change really happen in this country? You want to see change happen in our community? Be a reconciler. Tell people what God has done in Christ and be one who reaches out to be a Reconcile, reconciliation, to reach out to family members and loved ones and our friends and our neighbors. And it begins with us. Look in verse 19. Namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That explains what God intended to accomplish by the death of Christ and his resurrection. And it does require a human response. It's up to us to accept that we have done wrong and repent. And not all will do that. Some will still be defiant against God. And here's the thing. Now, just think for a moment. God has all this foreknowledge that not everyone's going to come to his son for forgiveness and be reconciled to him. But he still creates the world. He creates man. He knows all that's going to happen. And yet, he still sends his son. And that invitation is open to anybody who will come, confess, repent, 
and humble themselves. It's a free gift for anybody who wants it. It's just there. It's not like you take it and he leaves you on your own. He says, no, I want this relationship with you. Let me give you my Holy Spirit. I'll give you my word. I'll give people around you who are part of my family to help disciple you and grow you in maturity of your faith. God has done everything he possibly can. But here's the thing. I've said this over and over again. We're our biggest obstacle is ourselves. Too wrapped up in who we are, wrapped up in our pride, what we can do. Look at verse 19. He was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Verse 19, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, word trespasses can be translated sin, but here's the thing about the word transgressions. It's not just simply doing what's wrong. This is deliberate. Doing something we know to be wrong against God. Because you realize when you sin, when I sin, we offend God first. And before we go seeking forgiveness from anybody else, we have to go to him first. Have you ever done something that you know you shouldn't do, but you did it anyway? Am I only one who's ever done that? So trespass, he didn't count trespasses against them. He created what seemed to be an unbridgeable gulf between us and him. He wiped clean the register of transgressions through Christ's death. The files and the book of Colossians, I say, the decrees against us have been wiped clean. Now, bear with you. I meant to do this before church this morning, but I want to quote a stanza out of an old hymn, and I need to look at it, so I don't want to misquote it. And by the way, it is, it is well with my soul, a song that I know most of you are familiar with. Yeah. Okay, there it is. It's page number 410 if you want to look with me. Now, I might just start hopping around, getting side on this, but it's verse, or excuse me, verse 3 of It Is Well With My Soul. Listen to what it says. My sin, oh, the bless of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you get that this morning? If you're a believer in Christ, your sin, not just part of it, not just a portion, but all of it, has been nailed to that cross and you bear it no more. The files containing the record of our shortcomings has all been deleted through the death of Christ. Now here we go with verse 20. Therefore, because of all this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, the ambassadors in the ancient world were considered to be involuntary. It means pure. It means they were never to be imprisoned. And if they were imprisoned or suffered abuse, there would be swift retribution by the, by the uh, other power. In other words, if, if a greater power sent an ambassador to another country and their ambassadors suffered abuse, being imprisoned or being whatever the case may be, there would be swift retribution against them. Now, keep that in mind as we look back in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We talk about Paul's experience. He says he's an ambassador. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Seems to be a different experience that Paul has. Ambassadors were sent to other countries as a sign of friendship and goodwill. That was God's purpose in ascending Christ. Sending us to proclaim, to put it into hostilities and bring back reconciliation. Look back in verse 20, as though God were making an appeal through us. Now, ambassador does not speak on his own behalf. He speaks for that country that he represents. He speaks for the case of the person who sent him. So Paul is proclaiming, appealing, entreating, and urging people. Look, he's not just speaking as God's representative. Look back at the verse. Through us. He's declaring that the living Lord is directly speaking through him. How many believers do we have here? Raise up your hand. How many people we have? Do you realize you have the Holy Spirit within you? And when someone comes to your mind and to your heart, God is already preparing them for your visit. He will give you the words to speak. And he's preparing the field already. How many divine appointments do we miss in the words of Brother Larry because we're not interruptible? We're too busy. We go back to verse 20. We beg, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, this is where it gets interesting. We can see that being applied to a lost person, but this book is being written to Christians. And he's telling them, we beg you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Requires us to come to terms with our alienation and our responsibility for it. Because we're not reconciled to God, there can be no real reconciliation. It requires us to reorder our lives around God. Only then can there be real reconciliation with each other. Perhaps if we're having problems... It is because we don't have any real, real reconciliation with God first. That's where it has to start. So you get to your vertical relationship, it'll take care of your horizontal relationships. It requires us that we abandon or we discard or we reject all the criteria the world uses for evaluating other people. We must look at each other the way God sees them. We're all sinners saved by grace, desperately in need of Christ. And each of us have valuable worth to us. And I say that because of the cross of Christ. We have to stop arguing about our petty differences and come together in unity as we were reading about in the book of Philippians on Sunday morning. In verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Now Christ lived a sinless life. He was perfect. He had to be in order to offer up a sacrifice for us. But he has experienced the consequences of human sin. 
He was estranged from God and the object of his wrath. He was treated as a sinner in his death. You know, when that movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out, if you even see it today, when he's standing there after he's been scourged, you can barely recognize him. And Pilate's talking to them. And uh, asking what they should do with him. And they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And I don't know how the story goes. Apparently there was some pressure because they were afraid of anti-Semitism and taking that out because it looked like the Jews crucified Christ. But let me just, let me just speak some truth into that. The Jews didn't kill Christ. We all had a part in his death, but he laid his life down willingly. No one forced him. No one forced him to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. And one part I really like about that movie, as he carries the cross and he's up on Calvary and he falls over and he can barely walk, he crawls over to the cross and lays down on it. He laid it down willingly. He did not come in human flesh in order to stand in solidarity with all humanity, but to stand in its place and participate in a twofold imputation. He receives the burdens of humanity's sin while humanity's sin receives God's righteousness. Now look back in verse 21. Look back in there. Please, if you have it in front of you. The last part of the verse. So that we become the righteousness of God in him. We don't simply just have righteousness from God. We are the righteousness of God in him. We are given his righteousness only as we are in him. And we'll be raised like him. Only if we live in him. So you just don't have a righteousness that comes. No, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's your true identity. Now men, we have a, a, a bad tendency to say, Hey Larry, glad to meet you. What do you do for a living? And so much of our identity as men is wrapped up in what we do. How we provide for our family. But your true identity, gentlemen, is not found in your occupation. Your true identity is who you are in Christ. And we have forsaken our role as men in the church. Why do you think the church is doing all this crazy stuff? Because we've walked away. We need to rise up, the men of the church, and realize our, our identity is found in Christ. Not the possessions that we own or the house that we live in or what we do for a living. It is found in Christ. Baptism is a result of coming and confessing and repenting of our sins with humility and being obedient. It's a commencement. It's the beginning of your new identity in Christ. In fact, before verse 17 in chapter 5, you're talking, you'll see how Paul's talking about we don't see each other the way we used to see each other anymore. We see each other who we are in Christ. The old things pass away, behold, new things have come. 
Being a new creature of creation is not a label, it is a life. Baptism is not the end, it's only the beginning. And that beginning will never end. Because eventually we'll be glorified when we go home. Romans 6 verse 22, But now having freed from sin and a slave to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome, eternal life. The reward for serving God is growth and holiness, and in the end, eternal life. And apart from holiness, there is no eternal life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men, and the, and the sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. Your walk as a Christian does not stop the day you walk to y'all, confess and repent and were baptized. That's just the beginning. You become more like Christ. You answer his call. You realize this about a hundred years ago. Now I know it sounds like a long time, but historically speaking, a hundred years is dropping a bucket. Churches will raise up their new pastors within them. Sunday school teachers, Sunday school teachers, everybody within the local church, because everybody was in the process of sanctification. Disciple each other, do life with each other, know each other. You know what I found out? I don't, I don't like conflict. I don't know about you. I just, I, sometimes I go too far the other way with it. I don't want to address it. But when you, you butt heads with somebody, a fellow brother, sister in Christ, but you work through that and you forgive each other and reconcile, you know what I found out? That person will have your back no matter what. Because you know why? You've been in the trenches together. And you've seen each other at each other's worst. And you say, you know what? You're my brother and sister in Christ. And I love you as Christ does. I will never Leave your side. Slavery to sin results in death, but slavery to righteousness leads to life. Or in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we read these, the words of Christ himself. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. Baptism of commencement. If you've done that, and you've been walking with Christ, perhaps you find yourself, I don't like the way I'm at right now. I don't like where I'm at. You know, God's mercy is new every morning. God is willing to forgive. But see, we have to humble ourselves. Say, God, I've messed up. I don't like where I'm at right now. He'll meet you where you're at. He's willing and able to do this, that, to meet you where you are. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you confessed and repented? Have you done all these things? But I know most of you in this room, while I'm talking to you, I would say, yes, you've done it. But there's always room for improvement. There always should be more to do. We'll never get in our Christian life We can come over here and we can sit down and say, I'm exactly where God wants me to be. Everything's done. No. It doesn't work like that. He's always going to push you and stretch you. Why? Because he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He wants to change you more and more into the image of his son. He wants you to grow deeper in your walk with him. He wants to use you in ways you can't even possibly imagine. I'm doing the, if you would talk to me 
25 years ago, I probably would have said some bad words to you and said, I'd never set foot in church and never become a preacher. Now look at me. It's nothing that I've done. I'd say, okay, this is what you want. You told me to take care of everything. I trust you. And here I am. And you can experience the same thing. I'm telling you. You can. And we end with this challenge. Do you want to experience God? The God we read about in the Old Testament. The God who split the Red Sea in half and his people walked on dry ground. The God who descended upon Mount Sinai with fire and smoke and gave the commandments to Moses. You want to see the same God who took on human flesh and was born in a manger. Same God who walked Jesus the Son and taught and performed many miracles, raised Lazarus from the dead. I wish someone would have interviewed Lazarus, but no, we don't have that record. I wonder what he'd have to say to us today. Uh, you want to experience the same God who died upon that cross, yelling out with his last breath, It is finished. Same God who miraculously rose his son from the grave and now seated at the Father's right hand. You can experience that. But it requires obedience. It requires repentance. It requires confession. It requires humility. Those four things. How's your walk with Christ? How's your relationship with Christ? And I can't say this is the case all the time, but if you're having difficulties with your horizontal relationships, family, friends, neighbors, there may be a chance, a good indication, there's something wrong vertically. I've had some problems with my, my daughters, and before I could reconcile them, I had to go before God. God, what is it you want me to do? And sometimes, as, as I used to say back a few years ago, you have to eat some humble pie, swallow your pride, and do what's right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the new beginning that we have in Christ. We are confident that this good work you've started in us, you're not done yet going to bring it to perfection, to the, to the completed end. Father, in the meantime, may we be obedient to your call in our lives. Uh, Father, we never just stand passively by or standing. May we be growing in our relationship with you. Answering your call. And Father, be active reconcilers among people who are around us. As your spirit continues to move in this place, Father, may we humble ourselves in your presence. And as you bring thoughts to our minds and our hearts, may we be quick to repent and confess so that we may be your clean instruments to use as you see fit.
may your will, not ours, may your will be done on earth as it is.